Hello from Cybrary, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cybrary.it. From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. The next revolution in quantum computing and technologies is happening now. But how exactly will these growing innovations affect our lives? Dr. Maxim Seach, CEO of the groundbreaking quantum photonic startup, AGIC, discusses how quantum will impact our medical, communications, and financial industries. Addressing the myth that quantum computing will break all our encryption keys, Maxim elaborates on quantum communications, post-quantum cryptography, and efforts to develop sustainable solutions with security by design. Be ahead of the curve in knowing how to upgrade your systems to improve efficiency, data privacy, and more. Hello and welcome to the Cybrary Podcast. I'm Will Carlson, the Director of Content here at Cybrary, and I'm really excited about our episode today. Today I'm joined by Max with EJIC, and Max is here to talk with us a little bit about quantum technologies. And, you know, Max, I guess to start, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your background, kind of how you got into the field of quantum and what it is that EJIC does in the marketplace and what you're planning to do going forward. Well, thanks very much. Uh, it's great to be here today. Um, so my background is that I did actually study quantum physics. So there's no, no, no wonder uh, I went to do uh, things in quantum. So I got a PhD in uh, quantum physics, like experimental quantum physics uh, in, in semiconductors. So that's uh, the starting point of uh, a journey for EJIC. Um, so EJIC uh, is a spin-off uh, and a startup uh, from University of Sheffield in the UK. So we specialize in uh, single photon technology. So uh, we really are a like hardware uh, company, and um, so and hardware photonics company. So we do uh, a lot of still R and D. I mean, quantum tech is deep tech, um, but uh, our our position is to uh, offer uh, networking, to offer security to offer computing capability, but also other things, uh, as, as you do with photonics, uh, using quantum technologies. That's interesting, right? So I think a lot of people, and I know the cybersecurity professionals that I've talked with about quantum, I think they have some preconceived notions, right or wrong, about what quantum really is. And I, I think they tend to think of immediately quantum computing and quantum computers. But I, I'm curious, even in your intro, there's obviously a number of fields within quantum um, I wonder if you could explain a little bit more for the audience, kind of what some of those are, and again, where EJIC fits into those uh, particular domains. Sure. So quantum technology is generally, as we call it today, it's quantum 2.0, uh, it's called. So quantum 1.0, for reference, is everything that we use actually in our everyday devices. So it's uh, your camera on your phone, like the LED screen that you have, it's technically quantum as well, because it uses laws of quantum physics. Uh, to uh, to work, and so quantum to zero is basically when you reduce down the number of uh, particles, like photons, electrons, atoms, uh, whatever you choose, to a few, uh, and, and see what happens there. So that opens up a huge uh, set of different uh, applications and opportunities, and you could uh, broadly put them in uh, in three categories. So that's uh, sensing which includes also imaging, so uh, gravimetry, uh, a lot of interesting things there. 
um, this computing, uh, which is uh, what everybody knows about or at least talks about. Um, and it's also communication or, you know, transferring of data, uh, more or less. So these are three main sort of pillars in, uh, in, in quantum technologies. And there's an overarching uh, um, set of uh, components and technological material platforms that uh, play out with different ones. Uh, as you would, you know, uh, these days you'd say, well, there's different kinds of, uh, you know, elements in the, in the microelectronics, you know, resistors, transistors, uh, yeah, and all these things, and they're used in huge amount of things. So uh, similarly, uh, in quantum, I think we will see different elements of stock as well. I think from a cybersecurity perspective, the two that stand out to me as really being interesting are you know, not so much sensing just yet, but really the computing and the communications end of it. And I wonder, how do you think those things will impact the cybersecurity space? You know, if you're looking much further down the road, maybe not so much further down the road, maybe sooner than we think. But how do you think quantum will begin to impact the cybersecurity space, both near term and long term? So there's a number of ways it will impact. So obviously, cybersecurity has to, and is moving always with uh, changes in technology as we see it. So um, like artificial intelligence uh, did help, uh, and like machine learning came in and in, into play in some applications. Um, but the, I think the, the overarching theme of uh, quantum is that quantum computers are a particular kind of pro, uh, processor and computer that's particularly good at breaking existing encryption. And it's primarily because the very first uh, actually algorithm, Shor's algorithm, that's been uh, thought about that can be uh, that can be implemented using quantum mechanics is actually the one that does factorization numbers super quick. So you're talking about breaking, okay, it's already obsolete a little bit, but RSA security, you know, 2048-bit uh, uh, key, you know, in a matter of seconds on a reasonably powerful computer. So that's that's a major impact. And so uh, it's already presenting uh, some form of threat, primarily because it takes a long time to migrate systems. So, well, it may not be there, um, but if it's there, maybe people don't tell us. Uh, you never know. Uh, but if we say, you know, how long did it take to implement encryption on the internet back in the day? It was about 15 years. And the internet then was so much smaller. <laughs> yeah, I know that's the, it's really interesting that that's the, the use case you kind of picked out to start, because I know in my conversations with other professionals in the space, that's that's always kind of the chicken little that, that they talk about, the sky is falling, you know, that, oh, these quantum computers are going to come in, they're going to break all of our encryption, there's nothing that we can do about it, it's going to be so bad, nation states, everybody gets really doom and gloom, but I know in talking with you before, that there's quantum is not only a possible problem, but there's also a number of solutions to that existing use case within quantum computing as well. Uh, for sure. And there's a whole host of things you can do. And I think uh, this first is obviously uh, having defense against uh, just fast algorithms for decryption with quantum computers. And second is presenting, in fact, uh, a whole set of new opportunities that in a similar way as digital presented uh, itself, actually. So, and this is, there's different aspects to that. And, uh, you know, if you use quantum mechanics to calculate, then you might use quantum mechanics to transmit data. And this is exactly the principle in which uh, 
all of the quantum communications are being built right now. So because it's uh, in the quantum state, it, the encryption works differently. Uh, so you no longer use uh, those codes. So they, in principle, are unconditionally secure if you do it properly uh, without like uh, cheating on some parameters, let's say. So it's not exactly quantum. Um, so th- that offer and like the very first thing that you might have heard about and uh, it's uh, it's been said is called quantum key distribution. So the logic there is you simply encrypt uh, an encryption key inside the quantum channel and send it uh, independently from the data. And then you use that uh, key to encrypt your digital data uh, as you would normally use now, except that you need to have also the digital algorithms uh, which are resistant uh, to quantum computing decryption. So these are called post-quantum cryptography. And there's there's a huge uh, effort like right now, uh, and actually in the intelligence community, NIST is running uh, competitions to standardize those. Um, So then you need this also to enable data transmission over our conventional digital traffic right now. Mm -hmm. And so, but you have to have that, uh, you know, trusted channel on separate link. Otherwise, you cannot guarantee uh, the security. Yeah, so that's interesting, right? So quantum may come in and break existing cryptographic standards, but there's also some solutions long-term with some inherent uh, security by design with the way that quantum works. And then even near-term, right, if I'm understanding, this post-quantum cryptography is kind of an in-between, intermediate step to do what we can with quantum and leverage it today without having to necessarily rip and replace all of the entire infrastructure to get us there. Is that is that an accurate way of thinking about it? Uh, yeah, well, it's like the, it's part of the stack, in fact. So if you think about the any like communication or data exchange, so you know it consists of different levels uh, of stack, and you know the the post quantum cryptography, it's a pure software solution. So it sits in the very top of the stack. Now, then you need to also guarantee uh, sufficient hardware security in order for the full stack to maintain integrity in terms of security. So, and because it's software and it's digital, uh, it's much quicker to implement today, even though you'd have to patch all the uh, servers anyway. So, uh, and some of them is uh, some of those are actually quite computationally intensive um, to just uh, use them. Uh, so, it still requires an upgrade, even on the digital uh, side of things. Right, but much more of an incremental upgrade than making a full full boat switch over to pure quantum technologies in the stack. Correct. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, the way the technologies they develop, it's uh, it's not like we're you know ripping things off completely. And it's the same for digital. You know, you, you leverage the existing infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, let's let's wind it back. So once upon a time there was telegraph, and it was there were copper wires, and the first dial-up was still on uh, copper wires telephone, and it, it's moved in uh, since then. And similar is going to happen for, for quantum, you know, so the first devices, they'll use the same infrastructure, they, they, they'll use the same fiber infrastructure that's out there. Um, and uh, that that's, uh, I think that this is the business case for it, in fact, because it's finding the, uh, the, the manufacturing solution that is going to give you a, a reasonably priced uh, device that could fit into, and you know, you can just imp- implement it into your usual upgrade cycle. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting, right? So to your point that we've we've been through as, as humanity cycles like this before, right? We made the transition from analog to digital. And I think if you roll it back and you read the history about cryptography, some of these same conversations that are being had about doom and gloom and quantum's going to break everything and we're had back then too, right? But where we're at now is on the shoulders of all of that digital technology. So do you see a world, do you think it will be very similar, a similar progression uh, with quantum, like in this interim state when it's still expensive and hard to get to, it may be a little uncertain, but as it's democratized and more people have access, that it will get more feature parity to kind of where we're at today in a, a digital way of thinking. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I don't think it's going to be this uh, quantum leap. Actually, quantum leap is a funny word because quantum is the smallest leap you can take uh, in a sense. Um, but there's not going to be this dramatic thing that, you know, we wake up one day and it's suddenly all different. It will be a hybrid, you know, quantum, digital, and they'll slowly uh, mix up together. And you can already access quantum computers on the cloud, and it's a completely digital way of getting there, except you're running particular tasks on, on cloud with, with the code, which is only uh, you know, useful for quantum computers. We talked about earlier, you mentioned uh, briefly about um, secure by design. And this is something that's really interesting to me, right? So coming at this from a, a cybersecurity background, and again, being a little bit predisposed to the quantum's going to break everything, but we, that's ne- definitely not the case. But how is what are some of the secure by design, particularly in reference to communications, that quantum will ultimately help us with? How, how is that different than what we have in a digital communication world today? Well, then let's start with the again the most simple case of you know you're sending uh, a you know a bit stream from point A to point B, um, you know that that's completely simple case and uh, you can make an analogy between a fiber link uh, currently so you know you're sending from from one router to another and you're you know you encode data simply zeros and ones so it's same type of digital data. Except you encode that into proper in the quantum quantum property of a single photon. Now, by definition, when you if you want to intercept that data by any means, uh, firstly you destroy that photon so it no longer exists. And just measuring one photon is not never going to tell you um, exactly what the, the the what the code was. So you just have insufficient information from the interception. And at the same time, you can no longer reproduce it because you don't have that information. So the worst you can do is simply block the channel. Yeah, so it's a little bit like um, maybe an analogous today to the way some email services work, right? So they shard and encrypt all the shards and send those things out. But this, this we're, we're literally talking about on the wire, in the moment of the communication, with a single photon of information, of which a data stream may contain how many photons. So if I if I am able to intercept that one, in the most yeah, in the most simple case is one photon, one bit of data. Um, that's not using anything super advanced in terms of quantum. Uh, but once you've intercepted, you you lost it, and uh, you don't know. I mean, you can measure just one property, and it has multiple. So uh, you have to guess. Uh, and I mean, there's, there's a chance you be, will be lucky, but there's no way for you to verify. So even if, if you might have guessed something, uh, but you could as well just start guessing. I mean, <laughs> that's also a possibility. Uh, you just go one by one in uh, brute force. How do you see, so this is really intriguing to me, right? And the sea change that this ultimately will be, you know, so now we're on the other side of cybersecurity, right? I think cybersecurity professionals ought to be thinking, oh, what a big difference this will be, right? So if my if my um, 
my SSL, my, my security key provider gets hacked and somebody has my key, they see everything now. But if we move to this type of technology, that won't matter, right? So now we're on the other side of cybersecurity professionals, I think, and they should be excited <laughs> for some of these things in the, you know, the quality of life improvements and the data privacy improvements that these, these technologies ultimately will be. I wonder what is kind of the timeline and what's the roadmap look like for ultimately uh, the industry to begin leveraging some of these things? I think you just, uh, before I answer that, I think you just touched on a really interesting thing about like the, you know, the opportunities that the quantum brings. So for example, right, right now you might have your key for something and you will rotate it once a year, once in two years or something like this. And it's considered to be safe, uh, like or maybe once a month, you know, uh, some, but n not like you would have a one-off key for a given message or, you know, something like this. So with quantum, uh, the or quantum communications coming in, the idea is that you have to rotate the key super fast. So even some some gets compromised, you're never getting compromised overall because you've already replaced the rest of it. So it's a little bit like shredder, right? So you uh, paper shredder. So you you get it, you get it, you get a little bit of data somewhere. Um, maybe you can make out something of it, but again, the probability of and the risk associated with that is so much smaller. Uh, but on top of that, um, and there's, there's uh, some ideas and, uh, you know, they're purely scientific at this point, but how you can implement, for example, quantum identities. And that means that something cannot be forged or replicated because, again, of the laws of quantum physics, of like a non-cloning. So you just can definitely verify that, even, you know, a particular package is definitely that one, not uh, a, a forged uh, label even. Same with uh, whatever information that you send around. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting, you know, as we think about all of the recent supply chain attacks, so really being able to validate the integrity of a, a package or and who the sender really is, just the implications that that could have, right? So again, to your point of, of compromised keys, and, and we don't know they're compromised until way after the breach and, and the disclosures have happened and we're responding to it. But this could really revolutionize that in a number of ways, right? So to your point about quantum identity, it would really be a major sea change for cybersecurity professionals knowing things were really of integrity and they were from who they were supposedly from. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think uh, it's it's not going to happen tomorrow, for sure. Um, and to, to the question on the timeline, I think we'll see that coming over 10, 15 years uh, and, and stages. So, uh, you know, the first thing that we'll see it will be really on the backbone of fiber and satellite networks. So, and will only be accessed by major um, you know, government agencies, you know, industrial uh, entities, banks, like financial uh, institutions. So it won't be something that every you, you will feel on your everyday life, even though some of your like even you know grocery shopping uh, is going to be already uh, secured with a level of quantum in it. And uh, but just to add the like post quantum cryptography, it's been rolled out already. So even some blockchain protocols already uh, try to employ uh, PQC uh, type uh, hashing, so so to, to future proof them. And to you know, like fully get into this, uh, then we're probably talking about 10 to 20 years, uh, which uh, is just, uh, I think, a normal cycle to actually upgrade the uh, infrastructure properly. But also the time when we'll see some really exciting stuff coming from quantum computers, because 
I mean, they, we didn't mention that they're okay, they can crack things, but they actually can do some uh, really amazing stuff in terms of calculation and useful calculations, such as drug discovery, you know, optimization problems, um, like database searches, and they'll grow to the size. And in fact, quantum communication is the key to unlocking them because you'll have to link computers in a quantum way in between themselves. So do you think like it's building quantum network? Do you think it's safe to say, as you're talking through some of the use cases of quantum computing again, you know, I, I immediately think about, you know, where in our world today do supercomputers fit? So, you know, because of a little bit of my background, I think of protein folding algorithms and how we try to figure out how proteins fold and how that works from a medicine, uh, medicinal discoveries, uh, you know, things like the, the COVID vaccine and the, the technological leap that that was and how quantum computing will fit into that. Do you anticipate that there will be, is that analogy or that way of thinking safe? You know, could quantum computing, is that like a, can it's people think about this like a, a, super, a supercomputer up a notch even again? Yes, uh, absolutely. And actually there's a whole bunch of startups right now developing software for quantum computers exactly for uh, studying protein, uh, <laughs> proteins and it's a horribly complicated uh, problem. Yeah, and the one I have in terms of like protein cure, and there's there's a few more out there. Um, but they're exactly over. They're already developing software, so to be run on uh, on, on bigger computers. Um, I mean, I've seen some of the work uh, people done you know, on the simpler things that uh, already been checked with the, our supercomputers. It works uh, pretty well. But it scales very favorably um, once you start, you know, looking at the complicated proteins, as an example. I mean, it was like absolutely spot on. Yeah, no, I think, you know, other things like weather modeling, horribly complicated, climate change modeling. I mean, there are so many big, big problems that, you know, society and human beings have that we've leveraged technology to help us solve. And quantum computing will just be a huge yeah, I mean, step was, forward. Yeah, it's 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 one that allows you to model systems with very many variables uh, and how they uh, interplaying between each other. So this is something that digital uh, is struggling a great deal uh, because all the computation is uh, sequential. So the more things you add, the more loops you add on top, uh, it scales like exponentially. So it becomes more and more difficult. For quantum, it's not the case. Um, it scales more like linearly. So you add more variables, but you also add the links between, you know, the, the uh, inter, uh, interplays between the variables at the same time. And it's just like uh, it exists. I mean, there's a good analogy there with some, some neural networking as well. Um, so AI will be accelerated massively with uh, uh, quantum computers as well. That's another huge thing. And also another benefit for um, cybersecurity as well. I mean, on the uh, upper end of the thing. Cause, um, you get much better fraud detection uh, and, uh, you know, all these kind of high-level applications. Oh, yeah, I'm immediately thinking about my my, my peers and connections that, that are SOC analysts that sift through so much noise and alerts and, you know, the, the, the steps we've taken to leverage uh, AI and ML in particular to help filter out the, the signal from that noise, but just the additional computational power. To your point of adding variables causing exponential scaling and the amount of time it takes Making that linear in and of itself is <laughs> will be such a sea change for analysts and the technologies that ultimately power that, just because of the sheer volume of data and variables we're trying to control for. I, it'll be really interesting to see how security vendors begin incorporating 
And I'm sure they have R&D teams that are already well down the path and trying to stay ahead of this. But it'll be really interesting to see how they incorporate uh, the, the technology in general into their solutions. Uh, so there's this already quite, you know, all bigger players that can afford the budget for themselves. They generally have at least a few people who'd be actively uh, scouting and exploring mm-hmm. like what's possible. And it, it takes like almost everybody. So financial institutions, uh, pharma, chemical, petrochemicals, actually, there's another big uh, area mm-hmm. where people are looking at. And so you'll find that there's smaller teams uh, already looking into this uh, with obviously yeah, telecom operators as well. I mean, they will have small R&D teams to test out new technologies and how they work. Um, so that's been, you know, trials are being put all over the place. And actually trials is, uh, it, it takes me to the point, how do you adopt this? Because, um, you know, we already know that like digital works and the, you kind of like when something new comes in, uh, it's fairly easy to understand what's, what's it going to be because it's a, like a small increment in some ways. Um, so for, for trials, uh, governments play a lot of, you know, major roles actually globally. Sure. And to, to just, uh, and it's not like a, a single country that does it, but I mean, it's uh, everybody. Um, for that matter, China, for example, uh, they have built the largest uh, quantum network in the world so far uh, at several hundred nodes. Uh, it really literally covers all the coast, uh, north to south, uh, with satellite links on top of that, and like branching out into uh, you know sort of this multiple data centers it connects to, and they pretty much got it sorted already. And well, it still is a trial network, so they don't, uh, I'm not, we don't know what they actually do with that. Uh, but we, we don't expect that it's, uh, it's like in a full production mode uh, in, in a way. Um, but similar things have been done actually in the US, they've been done in the UK. Uh, Europe is trying to build their own uh, infrastructure. So, you know, uh, countries themselves are trying to do this. But these are like smaller test beds, but it's exactly the way, uh, for example, internet began. Uh, and, uh, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, where it was just like, you know, here's a few links, uh, and we, we get going. So uh, in that sense, uh, it's really important that there is uh, collaboration between different stakeholders. I mean, at least in a level of uh, understanding each other's you know, like needs and capabilities. And I'm talking like all the way from you know, like governments and larger end users all the way down to scientists who are still discovering new, you know, new science, new technologies somewhere uh, in, in, in the you know, physics departments around the world. You mentioned stakeholders. I think that's a really interesting one. So who do you think the stakeholders are now or should be? And who do you think they ultimately will be? It's the usual... Uh, you know, stakeholders for those who require ultimate trust uh, and uh, and knowing their you know security and safety. So it's definitely government agencies. It's definitely WU's type technology. So uh, you're talking about defense uh, there as well. Um, and it goes into the system integrators who you know deliver complex solutions uh, to those end users uh, because it only works like that. Uh, in the end, um, and so it goes down to uh, equipment manufacturers of, of different levels, but also service providers. So it has different like endpoints, if you want. If you you know because telecom operators they supply it to uh, like uh, everybody, including large or small businesses or mid-sized. 
and they all has to be reasonably coherent. But think about who today use uh, telecommunications equipment. Everybody. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely right. I think it, I just picture a world where a, a telecom operator really figures this out and they're ahead of the curve and they can offer this kind of security just as part and parcel for the services that they offer. <laughs> That'd be really massive, right? So I know so many of our communications now have uh, encryption baked in just for the general security of those communications. But, you know, I think those telecom operators and communications companies stand to gain a whole lot by being ahead of the curve and trying to figure out how they commercialize and operationalize this technology sooner than later. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I know for sure that many of them are looking at this uh, and trying to figure out the uh, the best business model or at least internal business processes for this uh, because there's definitely a demand for trust uh, or you know, unconditional trust. Um, it's a premium service at this point, but uh, those who need it will pay for it. Uh, and th- there's a very solid uh, use case that can be done. You know, absolutely. I wonder, to, to pivot a little bit, I-, I think some of the pushback that I've heard about quantum in general is that the, the, the fundamentals of it, the science behind it, is it's, it's hard to understand. If I can't understand it, then how can I use it or why should I use it? I wonder what your response would be to that kind of line of thinking. That I need to really understand the fundamentals of quantum before I can leverage it. And until we do, until the bulk of society understands better, it won't be deployed. Well, I mean, does the bulk of society understand how a transistor works? Like a fat transistor or something? Um, probably not. I guess we're just used to the concept that we know that they exist and we know that they work. Uh, so it's getting comfortable with it uh, as in first place. Uh, I think uh, there's so much uh, knowledge or how many people actually in the society understand deep down how uh, the encryption algorithms work, uh, who actually understand the math behind it. Uh, it's very, very uh, limited number of people, um, but at the same time, we're just used to this idea. And I think we just take it uh, that, yeah, it takes time for people to get used to new things. Uh, but you definitely do not need to understand and be enabled to kind of drive it from the first principles. Uh, it takes too much time. Uh, I mean, people will spend their careers and written books on, on this. So uh, it's, uh, it's about developing, you know, the uh, service kind of offering. So, you know, you have people who really know it deep down and there's a level of uh, a different level of like, consultants and people who can tell you specifically how to use it. And, and it will be fine. I mean, we still have people who uh, consult other people how to use a uh, Google email address, for example, mm-hmm. like this. It still is needed. So it's fine. I know my, um, my dad was always the, the family VCR programmer. And for, for those that don't know, back before, <laughs> we could record TV shows digitally in a box that the, the, the cable provider gave us. Um, you had to program a VCR tape to do it. Um, and he was always the one that had to do that. But I assure you, uh, even though he knew how to operate any VCR of any of his family members and was telephone support for all of those folks wanting to record the football game or their favorite TV show, he is not an electrical engineer. You don't need to know the fundamentals about uh, electronic engineering to be able to use those devices, right? So I think it's, it is really interesting. But I also think there's a component of this too, to your point that, you know, we don't necessarily understand so many of the technologies that we use every day, be it our cell phones, computers, 
how many people understand the internet, but they're able to leverage it, are vehicles, right? I mean, I, I understand conceptually how a car works, but far be it for me to try to fix it. I'm going to take it to somebody to fix it. But I, I don't need to know things at that level to use it. And I think quantum is definitely there. I think it will be in that space. Um, I don't think that means, and I, I know you're not advocating for a lack of validation. I think cybersecurity professionals are well-served to be skeptical and to make sure somebody fully understands the implications of the technology. And I think, to your point, um, there are teams that are doing that now, right? And these big telecom providers, and you know, you wouldn't want to roll out a homegrown algorithm just because you did it until you had somebody really validate and vet that. And there, to your point about NIST, um, looking into this as well, I think there's a bunch of you know, obviously primary research and a bunch of, uh, of folks trying to figure out how to apply that research uh, currently. Um, would you agree with that? And do you think, how important do you think validation of these technologies is for, um, I guess, maybe the scientific community at large before we begin rolling these things out at scale? Uh, yeah, that, that's that, that's actually a good point. And it's, it's ha- what is still to happen. Uh, a, a little bit, well, let's go back to analogy with Beacon, right? If you, let's say, buy an off-roader, you don't really need to see how it's built, but what you really want to see is a, a test track and just taking it off road for a little while and see how it uh, how, how, how it goes. And you know, if you if you're up that hill or through that mud, then it works. <laughs> so similar thing has to happen to uh, quantum technologies. You know, uh, they need to be tested, tried. You know, the, which is why you build test beds so that you can absolutely uh, trash them there uh, and try to destroy them see what's the reliability uh, and see what weaknesses they might have. I mean, how do you, you know, what if you create, uh, I mean, there could be even uh, really interesting attacks, like, you know, you, you cut the power supply for a moment and it just loses something, you know, and, uh, uh, just in line with clippers. Uh, and so you have to go through all these stages and uh, verify that actually like deployment in our life is safe. Um, that's completely sensible approach and, uh, it's right to be skeptical about something that is barely tested. Um, saying, well, you know, electrical vehicles, it took a few years for them to be on the road before people were completely bought into that. And yeah, yeah, actually, I'll, I'll get it. Um, and, you know, if you get a, I don't know, a Toyota off-roader, you know, it's really reliable, but you know it because it's been around for 20 years and uh, you've seen uh, cars that have done a million miles and they're still okay. You know, I think that's really great, right? So I, I'm definitely old enough to remember a world before the internet and when it first came uh, on board, how it had limited utility and people didn't really know how to use it. And we were all getting our mailboxes filled with CDs wanting us to <laughs> hop on different service providers. And now it's ubiquitous. It's all over the place. You just can't simply, it's really, really challenging to exist in, in our culture today without having a, a functional knowledge of how to get around the internet. And I, to your point that we, we see and there are early adopters and they'll leverage these things and then it gets to a point where it's critical mass and it just rolls out to everybody. And, and it's amazing to me how quickly things become normal part of our lives. And I expect that quantum will do that, that there's a, you know, there's a, I don't know, I wouldn't even say it's quiet now, right? So I, I think there's plenty of people talking about quantum. There's plenty of general interest in what it is. Maybe not so much understanding, but I think there's a, it continues to be a bigger and a bigger issue um, and a bigger talking point. Obviously, uh, you wouldn't be here with us today if that wasn't the case. But I think it will continue to grow, continue to become more mainstream. And to your point, we'll 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 send enough off-road trucks up and down that test track that it just becomes a normal thing for us to do. And, and part of the the core of our our communications and our computing infrastructure 
I wonder, uh, along those lines, how do you think companies like AGIC and others uh, will build a business model around quantum? Do you think that's still developing and it's still really early? Um, or do you think, you know, companies are well down the path of, of making that work and, and commercializing some of the, the technologies that quantum enables? Well, it's still a tricky place to be from business perspective. Um, because a lot of the you know existing knowledge and like the well-tried advice again exists for places where there's an established market. So how you do it, and there's uh, there's lots of you know tips and tricks. Uh, there isn't an established market. Uh, it's really uh, it's kind of a, a newish area where you are actually doing something like new and risky. Uh, like properly risky, and uh, not that uh, you know that your business model might not be exactly there, but technology is all there. Um, and it's not been happening around for some time uh, since probably the beginning of internet, or and, and before that, you know, when everybody in the eighties, everybody was investing in semiconductors uh, and building you know chips, microchips. So and now now it's like the understood technology, and if somebody comes up with a new chip, they uh, they know how to in in a sentence explain where they are, how they're gonna make it work. So for quantum companies, for quantum technology companies, generally uh, it's it's finding the the path um, where you can be uh, useful already today for society or for a particular use case, even if it's a narrow one. But it's about building uh, at least the first truck that you can take on the test track. Once you've done it, um, it becomes a little easier, uh, at least for yourself, and you know, gain people who are interested in this. And I think everybody's aware uh, in, in, in the sector that it, no one's going to jump on this like uh, tomorrow. Uh, we still need to show the truck works, and then 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 it will be great, uh, and then it will change the world. But you have to work on it. Um, to be the first one is uh, is a good opportunity to, uh, to, to to kind of be in the center of whatever happens uh, in the sector. So everybody's path is actually unique uh, in many ways. Uh, if you look into uh, companies, I mean, there are some trends. So if you start a quantum software company, you're betting on the fact that uh, computers are going to come in at a particular point, and at that point, you're going to have the software which is uh, going to be great for for that application. If you're building hardware, um, then it's a little bit of a race uh, because you've got to be the first one to build that hardware mm -hmm. uh, that that's going to do the job. And then finding the use cases again. So it's a balancing act where you see what you would like to do, what uh, would make sense in terms of business uh, or use cases, and how quickly you can get your kit to do just that. And a lot of that still involves uh, R&D uh, and you know, technology development, and which is hardware. Something that's, um, again, I mean, the unique things for any hardware company these days is all the tools for development exist for software. Mm -hmm. So the large corporates, uh, large, you know, uh, those who are actually building hardware, they have their internal tools uh, for those things. But if you're building a, a, the interesting thing, if you're building an agile team developing hardware, you'll suddenly find that there isn't uh, a tool that can keep all your CAD files uh, as easy as you or like the versioning system that you have like for Git, but for all the hardware stuff, it just doesn't exist um, on that level. So there are these uh, these funky challenges that you suddenly discover, um, but you know it, it all can be overcome. So our you know our approach to this is we and many uh, people do this like focus more on the R and D applications. 
So people who actually want to try something new, they may not have the full vehicle, but you know, you just buy a chassis to them. So in our case, we uh, we rolled out our single photon sources uh, later this year, and that's got a, fair, a fairly niche application and uh, like maybe imaging or like R and D labs, basically it's similar to selling a laser. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can do different things with it. Um, there's particular ones which are you know suitable for particular applications. So in our case, it's it's like that. And in the meantime, we keep working on developing the uh, the full like end to end solutions and kind of working up the stack. But it's to ensure that uh, we have the integrity of uh, of trust. I think what we see is that what quantum really brings in is the ability for people to trust better mm-hmm. uh, and more. So how you how sure are you the medical record is correct <laughs> and uncompromised? Um, how sure that that bank transaction is actually yours? Uh, funnily enough, my credit card was stolen yesterday. So uh, oh. I experienced that myself in a full flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how do you make sure these things uh, are definitely true? And the technology is already complicated enough that we know a lot of people uh, freak out, even from, from the digital stuff, <laughs> uh, if you, because it's too much. And so this is, you know, the way we'll, we we see and the way we want to take it is to just find ways for people to trust more in their daily interactions uh, with whatever thing they do. I mean, they go shopping, well, let's make sure it's all safe. They send something important, let's make sure it's all safe. They go on a trip uh, and let's make sure that they navigate safely. It is a really interesting, you know, from a, a startup business perspective, a really interesting problem for, you know, product market fit, right? So you have all this fundamental research that you know can do so many things and you could build an infinite number of solutions based on that technology. But as a startup, you've got to figure out to your point, what's the one thing that we want to do that we want to do well to kind of put our name on the board so we can leverage and move ahead here. I'm sure you're, you know, Ajik is thinking about your timeline of 10 to 20 years before there's wide adoption of these technologies. And as a company, you've got to stay alive for that long to have a seat at the table in 10 to 20 years. So really interesting. Um, And I think it parallels how we'll see these technologies begin to roll out in the space, right? I think, to your point, we'll see a number of really niche uh, use cases that are solved really well. And that will be kind of that test track where people prove that the technology works and it does this one thing well. And then as there's familiarity and comfort with that use case, then the use cases will just continue to grow, right? And then once you get wide ad- enough adoption, I think we'll hit a, a saturation point and the growth and the inclusion of quantum computing as a solution and multiple technologies will just exponentially grow. Would you agree with that general um, line of thinking? You think we're just getting started, we'll have some narrow use cases, but over time, the growth in I think this we way. already we already have some narrow use cases. So I think it was a little bit more advanced than it might uh, feel. Mm-hmm. And uh, to understand the how quickly technologies develop, uh, think about when was the first iPhone released? It wasn't so long ago. And uh, think think about your life with that. And we are now on a generation uh, thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> They've no life without it, right? Yes, yeah, so uh, I, it's almost like I was born with it, but actually it was long before I was, you know, I was born long before that. Uh, so the same with with quantum. I think it's developing really, really fast, and uh, it doesn't take long to actually test uh, uh, things on track. Um, but uh, it's going to impact things, and we start feeling the impact in ways we probably don't even expect. Um, I mean, the analogy I'm bringing as well here. Think about the 
digitization of trust. So how do we sign things digitally right now? How do we verify, you know, like even like things that happen with all the blockchain applications? So it's completely transforming how you do things in your life. Like how do you ensure that, you know, like, uh, like dispatch goods? How do you do the logistics? Everything is completely different. Uh, so we'll see uh, applications that probably we haven't properly uh, foreseen and it's going to create a market of its own. Uh, the way that uh, digital created it. It'll be really interesting. Um, I yeah, wonder. So we, no, go ahead. Yeah, and we, we really stand there, and like the company, like ours, is to enable those markets to happen and just you know create those marketplaces. So, which is where the great opportunity is that for everybody. I wonder for anybody in the cybersecurity space, or just maybe just those generally curious that want to know more about quantum. Um, to our point, right? You don't have to understand what's in the black box and how it works to really do that well. So maybe we don't need to go down to the fundamental, you know, we're not advocating for people to go get their PhD in quantum physics to, <laughs> to understand the technologies. But for those that want to learn more, I wonder if you have any resources you could point the community towards to really learn more about, maybe not the fundamentals, but to learn more about quantum just in general. And, and maybe you have some opinions on you know, the level of information that people need to have that, that might want to know more about quantum and how it's going to impact our world. Uh, I think this is actually a pretty nice book, Quantum Computing for Dummies, uh, <laughs> like the you know the classic series. Uh, but it's not so bad uh, to get started. Um, this is this an endorsement from somebody who has their PhD in quantum physics. So you know, it, it, title aside. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's just an example. Um, but we we still to see a bit more resources and. Uh, I'm hoping there will be more like non kind of commercial or like uh, non-specific uh, people just writing on this, like from community, you see communities emerging around the place. So if you just want to learn more, why not join one of those, um, which are not like particular company that sells things for them. Uh, but again, the universities are trying to uh, educate people uh, on, on this uh, front uh, to, to an extent. Uh, but sadly, I don't think there's like a widely seen, and it's probably the sign of the stage uh, where the technology is. Uh, it's widely, you know, available uh, amount of resources where people write a lot. But there's um, so you, you need to kind of use a little bit of the help of search engine uh, Google <laughs> to to find you uh, what, what suits your level uh, to an extent. And uh, I think there's a bit of a vacuum, actually, in the, in the knowledge, especially for the uh, cybersecurity. So there are just opinions uh, that are out there. So you get an opinion from NIST, you get an opinion from a vendor, a particular product, um, but they're all uh, somewhat biased. Um, and you want you and you want uh, you know a person who's just enthusiastic technology to just go and, and do it properly. So maybe, uh, you know, cyber is going to be in a position to do that. <laughs> well, we'll have to uh, find some really smart folks that want to help create some content in this space. <laughs> I wonder maybe a last question I have for you, uh, Max, is do you think there are any, um, are there any trends and misinformation around quantum that you want to take a stab at and, and kind of go against? Uh, there are obviously, and I think it's uh, it's it's given uh, through the fact that we all are trying to raise uh, venture capital, and so those are I mean uh, those are the, the the kind of the side effects let's call them of people trying to raise uh, as much money inflate 
their value uh, as much as they can. So you'd often find that there would be, you know, somebody who put like claims that are clearly too far away and too unrealistic. And those tend to be also picked up because they are really, you know, crazy stuff. They're like it's sci-fi and, uh, you know, in media, I would say somebody's not the biggest expert, but they read it. And, okay, this is great impact. So we're going to do that, uh, you know, we're going to distribute this. And so it creates this, uh, like, un, you know, a slightly imbalanced information where you have to slightly, you know, shift, sift through, uh, through this, uh, through these, like, uh, too big claims. And often, I mean, people might just want, might think that they can do something. And then it turns out that it was a little bit more too difficult <laughs> than they thought. Uh, for one reason or another, um, so you have to account for that as well. So they might have had uh, like best intentions, and in reality, just something didn't work out. So that's probably uh, the main problem that uh, the, the, there's a lot of like subjective uh, opinions there, and some of them are inflated on purpose. Yeah. So do you think the you know w- would your advice be similar? I guess to, to any uh, similar problem like this, consider your sources, and if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Is it really uh, relatively as simple as that to start where we're at right now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you know, you can look through. Actually, speaking about sources, there's, uh, for example, a roadmap written by European uh, consortium of like European scientists. So it's called European Quantum Manifesto. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another one uh, which is good. So it was written by the uh, scientist for the UK government. It was uh, it's a few here, few years old, but it's written actually for those who think about what to do with quantum technologies overall. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can add those links somewhere. Yeah, no, we can absolutely get those links and post them in the show notes uh, below. Uh, yeah, so th- those those just give the starting overview of like what things could be, uh, like purely from a technological perspective, like what's possible. Um, you know, I think that's great too, and probably a, a good model for the audience to follow, right? So because this does tend to be a little bit primary research, and to your point, there's large organizations and, and governmental bodies that are looking into these things that I think one should expect to be looking to those folks to be producing research and. You know, obviously, the the large industry players are probably going to be a little bit biased. If we're being honest, um, the governmental agencies may be a little bit less so. But to the point, like uh, the, the couple of resources you mentioned and the conversations about uh, NIST here uh, in the U.S. already thinking along these lines, so probably some great places to go to look for uh, more resources about quantum and how uh, we're thinking, how society is thinking about its impacts on us as a humanity and culture. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Uh, Thank you so much, Max, for the time today. This has been really enlightening for me, and I'm certain that it has been for the audience. Um, A number of really interesting things that Quantum is going to be doing to impact our world. Um, Would love to just open the floor for any closing comments you have uh, as we wrap up the show today. Uh, Well, no, I think it was really great conversation. So um, thank you very much for inviting me and uh, and your time. And hopefully uh, that helps a few people get more interested in, in Quantum and learning something new for themselves. Thank you so much, Max. I appreciate it. Cybrary, the premier cybersecurity skill development platform, is empowering individuals and teams to secure the future of technology. See why 3 million people have already signed up when you visit www.cybrary.it.